In today's Help and Hope Happen Here Pediatric Cancer Podcast, I will be speaking with Leanne Maston, whose four-year-old daughter, Addie, was diagnosed with stage four high-risk neuroblastoma in August of 2018. Leanne will talk about Addie's efforts, which can only be described as Herculean, to survive everything that she had to deal with during her 47-day hospital stay. Today, a little over two years since her original diagnosis, Addie is cancer-free, and looking at her, you would never know that she had been sick a day in her life. Addie's story of true courage has inspired over 270,000 people to follow her on Facebook. I hope that you will all be inspired by Addie's story. And now it is my pleasure to welcome Leanne Maston to my podcast. It is great to have you, and thank you very thanks. much for coming. Thanks, Mark. It's good to be here. Now, you have quite a story to tell yeah. about your daughter, Addie. Uh, she was two years old in August of 2018, was experiencing pain, and you took her to the emergency room, figuring she might have had appendicitis. That, however, did not turn out to be the case. What did the doctors find? Um, after uh, having some ultrasounds and CAT scans and several testing, um, the doctor came in and gave us the words that no parent wants to hear. Um, they found a large tumor on her adrenal gland that had encapsulated her kidney and told us that she had, uh, at, at that time, they felt that it was cancer. But we later found out she had neuroblastoma stage four high risk cancer that had metastasized all over her body. Had she had prior to the pain, now how long, um, first of all, uh, was it that she was experiencing this type of pain that, that, that made you go to the emergency room? You know, the pain that she was feeling actually had nothing to do with the cancer. It was just by a miracle that we found this. Um, like I said, we thought she had appendicitis. She was hurting really bad in her right side. Um, they actually found the tumor on her left side. She had only been in pain for one day. And later on, we found out that the pain that she was experiencing uh, was caused by um, a very severe case of cellulitis. By the next day, um, as large as my hand, uh, there was a place on her abdomen on the right side. Her cancer actually was um, on the left side, on the left, on the left kidney and adrenal gland. So it was just by accident that it was found. What the, the first two years minus the day that she was sick um, mm -hmm. with the pain? Did was she a very healthy little girl? Very healthy. She had ne she's never had any health issues up until that point. She had just had her two year checkup in July, and we and I laughed telling the doctor that everybody in the house could be sick with a stomach virus, the flu, and everything, and Addie never got sick. So um, it was, it, we were shocked because she never had a symptom up until, well, she was not even having symptoms that day. Um, it was just by accident that it was found. The thing about neuroblastoma, which was at stage four, unfortunately, that's a common stage for this type of cancer. It's very difficult to diagnose early. Right. And it had seemed obviously to overspread, you know, much of her body. Now for the next six months, she went under, underwent, you know, all kinds of treatment at the Scottish Rite Hospital, which was in Atlanta. That is correct. And chemotherapy, of course, was a big part of the treatment. And after the fifth of seven scheduled chemotherapy treatments, 
you were told that the chemo was not working. Now, what happened right. after stopped. that? Yeah, she basically stopped responding to uh, chemotherapy. And um, so her body was rejecting everything. Um, the tumors were not um, reducing in size like they should, and um, which was heartbreaking for us. And so um, they, t- they decided to go ahead and remove the tumor, although it was not as small as they would want it to be for removal. And it was a very risky surgery for her. Um, the, but the cancer had grown. Um, it had, it was on her adrenal gland. A rat, it was encapsulated in her kidney. She did lose her kidney um, and adrenal gland during that surgery. It was wrapped around the aorta, which is a main artery. Um, and if it, she could have bled to death on the uh, table if, if that had been cut at all. So it was a very risky surgery but they were able to get um, what they, they felt like most of the cancer. Plus they had to take some lymph nodes that had also um, the cancer had um, spread to. Um, after that, um, they decided she could not go to stem cell transplant, which is the next uh, step in, in um, their treatment plan because the, the places that had metastasized all over her body had not um, reduced enough to do that. It has to be a certain Curie score before they can go to that point. So basically they said, okay, we're going to do two rounds of immunotherapy and two more rounds of chemo combined. And that's basically was what we did next. Did the immunotherapy, was that the type of therapy that helped versus chemotherapy? Um, it did help. Yes. Um, something, I don't, I guess you've read her story. Something put her into acute liver failure. Um, and so we were at the last day of her second round of immunotherapy and chemotherapy. And she went into acute liver failure and almost died. Um, they don't really know why they have no clue. It's still some today. Um, the drug company said never in the history had uh, a child had this happen um, with the combination. So we just, we really don't know what happened. Um, but she did go into acute liver failure. Um, she was put into ICU for many days, um, was in the hospital for almost two months uh, fighting this. Um, but while we were in the hospital, she did have a scan and um, the scan did show no evidence of disease. So the immunotherapy with that combination of chemo, it worked. But uh, something in the process of that almost killed her. So, How surprising was it to you that when they did that scan, there was no uh, observance of, of any type of disease? Well, it, it, we were very surprised. We were not expecting all of it to be gone, but it was, um, it, it was a miracle, uh, that it was all gone. Um, that's what they wanted at the end of the fifth cycle, but, um, that didn't happen. Um, so we were very surprised, but of course, very happy at the same time, especially with the condition that she was in at that point. Uh, she was in very, very serious condition. <clears throat> um, and we were told at that point that there were really no more options for her, for treatment as far as stem cell transplant or anything because her liver was so damaged and she was so weak um, that her body couldn't handle anymore. Um, So they stopped um, that because it was time for her body to heal some. And, um, and that's kind of where we, when we left the hospital, 
hospital, we were kind of, no, we're not going to accept. We can't, we can't sit back. Neuroblastoma is a beast. And if you don't stay on top of it, um, it, we knew it would return and kill her. So while she was in the hospital and things were not looking good, she was under palliative care. Can you explain exactly what that Mm -hmm. is and how long did that take place for? Um, While she was in ICU, her condition began, it continued to decline. Um, She was not getting better. Um, Her pain was severe. Um, They did end up saying that they felt like it was VOD. Um, There were some discrepancies with some doctors that it really, some thought it was VOD, some didn't, but regardless, it was, her liver was failing. While she was there, all of her organs started to shut down, her kidneys, um, even her gut was shutting down, her bowels were shutting down, her lungs were affected, um, her heart was being affected. And so they brought in palliative care. I think they were trying to prepare us for the worst. Um, they helped, was trying to help manage her pain better, um, be more of a support system for our family because um, it was a really hard time, of course. Um, and kind of prepare us for what may, may be down the road. And that was her not making it basically. Okay. So she was in the hospital. Thankfully, of course she did. She was in the hospital roughly. It looks like 47 days, 45 days. Yes. 47 days. And then she was accepted by Sloan Kettering Mm -hmm. to receive a trial drug, uh, which Mm -hmm. happened. It looks like exactly one year uh, from her diagnosis. Absolutely. Uh, how did that work for her? Well, um, after we, we got out, she got out of the hospital. I'll say we, cause I was with her the entire time. Um, <laughs> a parent don't leave in, in cases like that. <laughs> I know, I know full well. Um, so what we did was, um, I started doing a lot of research, um, trying to find something that would not affect her liver. Um, after she got out of the hospital, we did do uh, 12 rounds of radiation to the primary spot because it, it would not affect her liver. Um, we found uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. Um, they were having this uh, really great um, results with um, their tri- clinical trial that they were doing with an antibody. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And that antibody was, it's called 3F8, um, HU. 3F8. There's a big technical term. Uh, they just call it 3F8. And so um, we went to New York. Uh, she did all the testing, you know, always a big concern of her liver if it could handle it. Um, there were no liver side effects to this particular drug. So we, her doc, all of her doctors were in communication in Atlanta and in New York, and they felt like she could handle um, the 3F8 antibody. And so that's, that's kind of where we went. And because how, we were not, sorry. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Because we really just, we felt like we didn't need to sit back and wait because with neuroblastoma, it can return. And it, if it, if she relapsed, we knew that it would not be good, especially in her weakened condition. She couldn't handle chemotherapy at that time. How long was she on that <laughs> drug for? Um, the three of eight, um, she started that drug in, August um, of 2019, and um, she uh, and her last one was in November of 2019. Unfortunately, in Grand Addy style, her body started rejecting that treatment as well. Um, she her body built an antibody against 
that antibody. So basically, they said her, in in layman terms, her body was rejecting that, you know, um, because her built, body built up that antibody to it. So she did that from August of 2019 to November of 2019. And then she was to begin a vaccine in January of 2020. Did yes. she begin that vaccine and yes. how did it work? Yes, she started the, um, she was cleared, um, did all the testing. Um, that's the second phase to the 3F8. Normally you do um, five to seven cycles of the 3F8 drug. She did get three of those in. So the doctor was happy with that. She continued to be ha-ha positive, which meant she had built up this antibody against the drug they were giving her. Um, so they felt good about going ahead and starting the clinical trial for the vaccine. And the vaccine spreads over a year's period, a period of time. So we began going to New York in January um, and she started the vaccine trial. And, um, you know, it, anything that you have to give a child is, is hard and it's difficult on them. But it was the lesser of all the evils, if you can. Um, it, it was, it's very painful going in. Um, some of the older children says it feels like hot lava going into your leg. Um, but at, after about 15 minutes, it's just a shot in the leg, just like any other vaccine. But this is building, hopefully, an immunity for her body to fight off any cancer cells that may try to attack her again. But um, after that, she would have some pain in her leg and some swelling, but we would come home and she was was able to be a child and do the things that she loved. Um, so that was the good part of it. There was no hair falling out. There was no vomiting. There were, you know, no uh, drops in her, um, you know, her blood levels or anything that would cause her to have to go back to the hospital. Once the pain was gone out of the leg, she was back to a normal kid. And that was a, that was wonderful. We really liked that part of it. So um, we've been going back and forth to New York, even through a pandemic, uh, that's been difficult, but we've been going back and forth uh, since January. Um, we will go back again January of 2021, and she will receive vaccine number seven. Um, if her scans show that she remains um, cancer-free or no evidence of disease, if she has no evidence of disease, that will be her last treatment. Um, and then she will just have scans every three months for the next two years. So how many times did you actually have to travel from roughly Atlanta to New York City during the um, January to you know, uh, um, current period? We, we traveled seven times for vaccine and a couple of other times for other testing that they require. We requested this past November, well, just last week, not to go. We should be in New York right now. Um, getting um, her work up and her scans, but we requ requested that we do that here at home and they allowed us to do that this time. So we were able to, to uh, not go. So um, it's, it's been a lot of traveling over the past year. So did the traveling take anything out of Addie? I mean, obviously traveling anyways is, is a hassle, especially, you know, nowadays with the pandemic and in her condition, was it difficult for her? You know, Addie is a remarkable child, and she adapts to just about any situation that you put her in. 
and we made traveling fun. Um, I'm, I have a very positive attitude, uh, outlook on just about anything. And so I really tried to make it a fun thing for her. Even when she uh, knew she was going to get a shot, we tried to make the best of that. Of course, she knew when she went into the hospital, it was not going to be good. And there was anxiety and and she has a little bit of PTSD um, because of all that she's been through over the past two years. But um, she she has done really well. She loves flying. Like, she loves flying. She would fly every day if we would let her. So she's enjoyed that. She's in, uh, She calls the hotel rooms. We're going back to the room. So she knows when we stay in a hotel, we're, or I say we're going back to the room. We're, we're not at home. We're going to a hotel. So um, she's enjoyed, you know, the travel. We, when New York was opened up, we really enjoyed seeing sites and doing things in New York. But of course, that's not been possible. We've had, actually had to drive a few times during the pandemic instead of fly to keep her safe and keep us safe. Um, and that was a little harder. The travel is harder when you're driving 15, 16 hours, um, you know, one way. And so that was a little harder. But again, this child is absolutely amazing. And she she did great. We would get out at the truck stops or the, the rest areas and we would do our little exercises to stretch her legs and we'd play games. And so she just adapted. And that's that's what she's done her during this entire process. Was she or is she susceptible to any type of problems more than the normal ones that she has now because of the COVID situation? Well, you know, she, because she's not been on regular like chemo treatment and her counts are not lower, um, you know, she's not as susceptible as children who are in active treatment as far as chemo and that, you know, the harsher treatments. But of course, her body has been through a lot in the past two years. So, you know, it probably would be a little harder for her. She only has one kidney. Um, Her lungs took a pretty big hit and she's had some issues there. So we we keep her at home as much as possible. When we get out, we we use all the precautions. But, um, you know, she's not as susceptible as most cancer kids at this time. But we still try to keep her as safe as we can and at home as much as we can. So in the last 11 months since the uh, vaccine was was administered to her for the first time, she's obviously doing much better. Mm-hmm. Um, I've looked at some of the videos, and to me, she, did, she looks like she's never been sick a day in her life, which is obviously a great thing. Oh, yeah, that's what her doctors uh, – her doctors are pretty um, amazed at how well she's done. Um, Her hepatologist, which is her liver doctor, has said that he has seen children that have suffered like she has that five years later are still suffering from the effects of the liver damage. But her liver has recovered and some of her numbers are not perfect yet, but they're not. I mean, they've never seen a kid that has recovered like this before. So um, she you would never know how sick she's been unless you knew she looks like any other kid. Her hair's grown back tremendously, like it's long and beautiful. She looks healthy. She acts healthy. She's very um, active. And so, yeah, we're blessed. Does Addie go back to a local hospital, um, you know, in the current state, outside of going to New York for the vaccines? Does she go back for follow-up treatments? 
Yes, um, she still uh, remains a patient um, at um, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Her doctor, her oncologist that was there the very first day has been with us for over two years now. So she still is a patient of theirs. She will, she sees them, you know, uh, every three months, although she is still a patient and she's a patient in New York as well. So they've, they've worked so beautifully together. Um, her doctor in Atlanta and her doctor in New York are actually longtime friends of the past 20 years. So they email about Addie, they keep in close contact. We've, you know, had a, it's been a wonderful, um, connection to have. And, uh, so yeah, she continues to see them and they will continue to follow her. Um, as most people know, neuroblastoma has a high rate of relapse. And so, um, she has a 60% chance of relapsing. And I asked her doctor a few weeks ago, when can I breathe again and not have to worry about relapse? And he's, he looked at me, he said, Leanne, first of all, she's in that window of relapse right now. Um, but you know, five years is what we say, but even after five years, there's, we've seen kids that relapse. So that's the reason for the next two years, she will have scans every three months to make sure if she does relapse, they catch it quickly. Is the doctor in Atlanta, is this Dr. Raj? Dr. George. Dr. Raj was the, uh, ICU doctor that saw her, um, when she was very sick and he saved her life. Um, and he was her sedation doctor last week and was a godsend. Um, so she had no, uh, he did her, um, anesthesia. Uh, he put her to sleep at bedside. Uh, she calls the, the, when they wheel her into the room, it's the scary room or the bad room. And she didn't have to experience the bad room because he did it at bedside. So Dr. George, Bradley George is her oncologist in Atlanta and Dr. Kushner. I don't even know Dr. Kushner's first name. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> uh, Dr. Kushner is her doctor in Atlanta, in New York. So. I was going to ask you about Dr. Raj because I read about the, what he did for her. Um, she, she refers to the, the scan room or whatever as the bad room. Yeah. And I guess it's not something very common when you actually sedate, uh, sedate the patient at bedside, which is what he was able to do. So that was a big moment for her. Yeah, it was. I, I, I shed a few tears because I'm telling you it, um, when we go for, for scans, it is traumatic. I, I would someday, I wish I could, I could record it so people could see how traumatic it is and what he did for her to do that at bedside while she was sitting there with me by her side and him talking to her about Paw Patrols was remarkable. They probably do it often. I don't know, but um, it's never happened for her before. And that one day of not being traumatized by going to the bad room was a pretty good day. <laughs> Well, I'm up here in Boston. Of course, Children's Hospital in Boston is is world renowned. It's such an amazing yeah. hospital, not just for uh, for cancer, for pediatric cancer, but for all pediatric uh, patients. And you know, it's just so well known how well they treat their their patients outside, even of the medical situation, mm -hmm. the, the medication that that they that they give to their patients. Is that yeah. pretty much the same where you were? Were you totally? satisfied and happy with that type of treatment that she received? Oh my goodness. I, 
I, I've told them I would make a commercial for them. They're so wonderful. I, I can't even say enough about the doctors and the nurses. And every, I mean, from the person who checked us in at registration, who gave her this big toy to, you know, the tech who sat beside her, the, you know, the MIBG tech, every person since day one has been amazing. Uh, I can't say enough about Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Um, we have uh, had experience with them at Scottish Rite and at Eggleston. They're the, they're one in the same. Um, they're part of the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and they're remarkable. They go way above and beyond for their patients. Well, that's certainly, you know, very comforting to hear for the patient and, of course, you, because, you know, I'm sure when, when Addie goes in for her scans, uh, she's not the only one that's nervous. I'm sure that you feel oh, some anxiety no. as well. <laughs> yeah, there's, oh, yeah, there's some, you know, anxiety for scan day. Uh, uh, cancer parents call it scanxiety. Uh, you know, you know that your world can change on scan days. Um, you know that you know, with one call, things can start all over again. Things can be good or they can be bad. And there's no in between. <laughs> and plus just seeing your child having to go through something else, you know, they, she's been through so much over the past two years. And um, yeah, so scan days are hard. I'd like to talk a little bit about the effect that Addie's life has had on others. I mean, she's obviously a heroic battle, now, she has over 270,000 followers on Facebook. Yes. That's an amazing uh, following. So her story obviously has resonated, not just with, you know, uh, your town, I'm sure, but but all over, you know, yes. at least Georgia and, and wherever. Yeah, her following is all over the world. It's amazing. I have people who have messaged me from Africa, from uh, from Zimbabwe, from um, the UK, um, you name it. People are following her all over the world. And, and I, I don't know why. I don't know what happened that made her following. I guess, one, she's adorable. She's cute. Um, her story is um, just it's one of, um, I believe it's one of miracles and one of faith and one of hope and one of love. You know, um, Addie is adopted. She's biologically my niece and uh, we adopted her last August. And I think just there's so much to her story and, and her, the community of people that began to follow her have been absolutely amazing I, I can't even begin to explain how uplifting they have prayed for us they have you know monetarily helped us um, they buy t-shirts or I just wrote a book they you know have bought my book um, I told Addie's story in this book and people who have followed the story and know what the story is have read it and said they cried all over again because she's been through so much and uh, she's just touched the hearts of so many people. And it's so humbling to know that this beautiful little child has changed lives. I get, I get emails and, and messages how she's changed them and they look at the world in a different way. And, um, they look at their children a different way. They're more thankful for, for their healthy children. And so it's, um, it's been very humbling to see all that she's done um, and all the people's that she has touched with her life. Well, when I read what had happened to her, you know, 
what her body really looked like after she yeah. was diagnosed. It, I mean, anyone who doesn't, you know, uh, look at that story and just shake their head, um, yeah. you know, it's it's just an amazing story and what she's done. Now, did this following start with a simple Facebook post? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, you know, once your child is diagnosed, it's kind of like a whirlwind. You know, everybody is reaching out to you and wanting to know how you're doing and, and you know, how how she's doing and what's going on. And they want to be, you know, supportive. But it really got overwhelmed. I got overwhelmed. Um, it was so much. And so I told my husband, I said, I'm going to start a page. And if you'll just tell our family and our friends, I'm going to post on there what's going on. If they'll just go and, and look, you know, on the page, that's where I'll update and that kind of just snowballed. Um, people started sharing and more people started following. And it just, it kind of just, I, I don't know why it's so large. I, I really don't. I'm just thankful that so many have followed and seen what a miracle her life is. And, and it's, it's caused them to have more hope and, and, and faith. And, you know, we, we are very faith-based and we believe God has healed her and we're going to hold on to that. Um, and we've shared that with, with everybody on her page. I'm sure that you've seen. To kind of continue on that, on that track. Now there are just under 17,000 members of a group called uh, Addie's Journey Prayer and Share Group. Yes. What does that yes. entail? Well, um, I had so many people that contacted me um, asking me, would you please share my child's story on your page for more prayer would you and and it was when you have as many followers as she has it was almost impossible to share every story um and so i decided you know i'm gonna start this prayer group other people need support other people need prayer so i started this prayer group and I've invited people to come and please share your story, share your child's story, share. We're going to pray for them. We're going to lift them up. Um, we're going to be a support system for them. And so it's really grown. And I'm so it, it's become um, it's amazing how many people come together to pray for these children and even adults. It's not just for children. It's for anybody who needs prayer. Um, so they have 17,000 people collectively praying for um, whatever need that they may have. Now, you mentioned before that Addie is adopted. Yes. She became your daughter over a year ago. It looked like it was right around the same time, uh, mm -hmm. a year after her diagnosis. Yes. Now, you yes. also have five grown children. Oh, yeah. Was that a difficult decision to make for you to adopt her, especially considering why she was so, you know, that she was so sick at that time? Or was it an easy decision for you to make because she was so sick at that time? Uh, it, there was there was no question. We, I've loved Addie since the day she was born and she's my brother's child biologically. And there, I mean, there was no hesitation. That was a given. I didn't care if she was sick or not. We were just thankful that we could be her parents. She's lived with us since she was 17 months old. And we, um, you know, we, we had her a lot before we, she actually came into our custody. So um, yeah, she's just one of our children. Uh, we would never let anybody else adopt her. She was ours from the beginning, and we're just thankful that 
as hard as it's been, it's been a very difficult time. Uh, we wouldn't change a thing. We would adopt her a thousand times over if we needed to. So, I hope the answer to this question is no, but with any of your biological children, do any of them have any type of uh, <laughs> health issues at all? No, 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 no health issues with any of our children. They're all perfectly healthy. They love Addie. Like I've, I've never seen so much love for a child. Like she, she loves her siblings so much. And it just, as a parent, it just warms my heart to think my children have been our biggest support system through this whole thing. Um, They're 23 to 33 and they are, they're amazing. They have been her. They've been by her side every step of the way. They have held her hand. They have held her head while she's been vomiting. They have traveled with me. Um, it, it's been, they're pretty remarkable kids. That's really incredible. Now you mentioned that you've written two books, yes. one called a 30 day devotional yes. and a very recent book uh, called Addie's story. Can you just, obviously, the, the second book is pretty self-explanatory, but can you talk about those two books? Uh, yes. When, you know, um, as I've said, our faith is very important to us. Um, God has done so much in Addie's life and our lives through this journey. I, I wish I could pour out onto other people everything that he's done in our lives. And I just wanted to share some of that with with Addie's followers um, to give them hope, um, to give them peace. To um, And so I started writing a devotion and I put it on her page every week. Um, and everybody kept saying, please put these, these devotions in a book, please put these devotions in a book. And so I did. And so it was 30 day devotional. I continued to put a devotion on her page weekly. And uh, then God really laid on my heart to write her story. It's such a wonderful story of, of faith and of hope and of love and how miracles do still happen today. Um, whether it be by medical or by God, it's a miracle nonetheless that she's still with us. That there's no, she should not be with us today. And so we're just thankful that um, for that. So I wrote her story to hopefully give other parents who may be going through the same thing some hope um, or somebody that's uh, an adult that's going through it or um, because there is hope. We never give up. We never give up. And so we keep fighting and that's kind of, and I just told her story. I told a lot of the background about us. So many people ask about it and I don't really share a whole lot about it on Facebook. Um, I, I give some of our background and, um, and just um, tell her story um, so that others, I hope, can uh, um, have the same outcome that we've had. You had a book signing recently for Addie's mm-hmm. story, and yeah. 125 people attended. That's yeah. a pretty good, that's a very nice turnout. What was that like <laughs> for you? Uh, it was pretty cool. I was, um, I was um, overwhelmed with the, with the people who, who, you would think that she was like famous or something. I guess you can be Facebook famous. I guess people just love her and are like drawn to her and want to meet her and see the miracle that, that is sitting right there in front of them. It's, it's amazing. We have been places all over the United States and people recognize her everywhere we go. And so for these, all these people, we had one person that drove from Alabama um, just to have their book signed and to meet Addie. So it, again, it's just 
it's humbling. It's, um, it's, I'm sorry. It's overwhelming that so many people love a child that they don't even know. Well, see, there you go. You say they don't even know her, but actually <laughs> you know her. Yeah. See, yeah well, our difference. lives are pretty public. Isn't it? <laughs> well, it, it really is. I mean, you know, to have, to have that many followers, to have, 10% of the followers is, is, you know, overwhelming. So, and, and as she, you know, becomes more famous, uh, which she is, um, you're going to have quite a, uh, a, uh, a rock star in your hands. No question. <laughs> yeah. Now, as to the book, how can people get a copy of that book and, uh, and learn a little bit more uh, about Addie? Um, Facebook obviously is one of the tools but I think that people would love to read the story or hear the story and really learn more about her. Um, well, of course you can go to her page. You just type in Addie's journey and it'll come up a cute little bald headed girl. And there's a link on the page. Um, I self published the book. Um, so um, I, all you have to do, you can go to lulu.com also and type in um, Addie's journey and the book and you'll see the two books come up in the feed as well. Now, many parents faced with a similar situation as you and your husband had choose to stay very private about their child's diagnosis. They just want to, uh, you know, outside of family members and a few close friends, they don't, they don't want to publicize it. They just want to get through it. And that's their way of handling it. Of course, everybody handles it differently. Absolutely. Now, you have been a public, very important public advocate for Addie. And you're doing such an amazing job at it. Is this something you plan to continue to do as time goes on? Absolutely. Um, I really want to advocate for childhood cancer, uh, childhood cancer awareness, for more funding, 4% funding. It's not enough um, to continue to, you know, people want me to continue to share her story as she grows. I've been, they beg me, please don't close down her site. We want to see her grow. And of course her story isn't over as you know, most people who know the story, her, she still has a huge chance of relapse, which we believe she's not. We have all faith that she's not, but we'll continue this for quite some time. Um, but I plan to really, I hope to turn more towards advocating and bringing more awareness to childhood cancer um, as we move forward. And she's kind of out of the battle per se, you know, we can, I really feel like her story can bring a huge light on the childhood cancer and the lack of funding. And um, so that's, that's kind of where we're steering towards. We'll still tell how she's doing and when she starts her first day of school and, and that kind of thing. So um, that's kind of the page will never go away. As long as people are following, I will, you know, I want to keep them um, involved in her life. They have prayed us through the hardest storm of our life. And that's the least we can do is if they want to be a part of her life and see her story, that's what we want to do. I think that Addie is the type of, uh, of patient that really drives people um, to donate or get involved in things. Obviously as an individual, it's difficult, uh, you know, to raise the kind of money that, that you want, but, but she's the type of person that people are automatically drawn to and say, Hey, we have to do something. And, you know, a perfect example is how that she's done with the, with the book, with the Facebook, uh, obviously, uh, following with the amount of people who are in the prayer group, etc. Now, your name is very much in the public eye. 
do you get unsolicited emails and questions and, you know, other, other um, forms of communication for people that really want, you know, they, they've read your story, but they want you to give them advice on how to handle their situation. Oh yeah. Um, daily. Another, as we all know, every day children are being diagnosed and, um, you know, a lot of people have followed her story and they've said it's given them hope. And then I've, you know, people ask me, how do I get in contact with, you know, New York about getting a second opinion or how did you handle this situation or how did you handle this situation? You know, and I, I try to be very honest and open, um, you know, I don't want, I never want to give medical advice. I'm not a medical doctor. I just tell my experience and what has happened with us and what we did. Um, it may not work for everybody, but you know, it's worked for us. And so I'm always open to, you know, at first it was overwhelming to the point that I couldn't answer, but now uh, I'm really trying to be more open and, 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 and email as many people as I can. But as you, could imagine with over 270,000 followers, sometimes there was at one time I had like four or 500 uh, messages in my inbox um, on Facebook. And it's like, I, I can't do this. So I try now to filter through those as much as I can to get to the ones that really need some help, you know, um, to get to, especially when it's involving a child with cancer. And, and I've kind of made my email more public so people can email me directly as well because Facebook um, gets overwhelmed with messages sometimes. What has Addie taught you? <laughs> oh, Lord. I can't even that, – that would take me probably two or three days. Um, you know, she's taught me so much through this journey and just through her life. She's such – she is – she brings so much joy. Her middle name is Joy. Her name is Addison Joy. And she's taught me more than anything is um, just to have joy, even even when the days are hard, even when things don't look good, we can choose joy. And she's chose joy every day. Even when she was sick, she would smile. Even when she didn't feel good, she would still smile. When she was so weak, she couldn't even stand up. She still was so full of joy. And I think just the joy that she's brought our lives and that she's brought to others. And she's taught me a lot about, about joy and about faith and about what God can do through one tiny little girl. <laughs> well, it's, it's just amazing that the uh, legacy that she's building at her age and, uh, God willing, she'll be around a telephone for years and years and years from now. I mean, it's just really, it's a, it's an incredible story. And you just wonder, I mean, I, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, to do a little bit of volunteering at, at Children's Hospital in Boston. And this is, of course, I mean, Addie is, is, uh, is this on steroids almost, the resiliency <laughs> that she has and all these kids have because to be pretty much in a situation where they did not think that she was going to last to a situation, uh, you know, less than you know, two, two years later that she's running around like she never yeah. had a sick day in her life. Yeah, it's incredible. The resilience of these children. I, I tell parents that contact me all the time. I'm like, just remember, they are so resilient. I mean, she, one day she might not feel good and be laying on the couch. The next day she's up running around like nothing ever happened. And so 
kids are a lot tougher than we give them credit for. Um, you know, th- their resilience is, is amazing. And uh, when you are positive and you are pushing them in a positive way, um, I feel like I, I tell every parent, this is not a time to feel sorry for yourself. I know it's tough, but this is a time to stand up and fight. And you've got to be the positive force that drives your kid to, to, to be where Addie is today of having no evidence of disease. You, you advocate for them. You get them the best care that you can, and you just keep pushing forward. You, you don't give up, and, and there are hard days, and there's times that I've cried on my husband's shoulder, but then I've picked myself up by my bootstraps and said, okay, we, we keep going forward, and we're going to fight until she is, is cancer-free and living a full life. And so... Well, that's certainly the the goal. That's certainly the hope. And we'll all keep our fingers crossed on that. And and I just want to thank you, you know, first of all, for taking the time to come on my show. You said it before. You get all these emails and, you know, everybody wants to get advice or talk to you or, or, you know, just have, you know, some, some, uh, someone that can really explain things, settle them down, give them hope. And you taking time out of your day to talk to, to my listeners about Addie and what she's gone through and what you've had to do to, uh, you know, help her along is amazing. And uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time again to, to, to speak with me. And I wish you and Addie and your family, nothing but the best as time goes on. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure to be on this show. Anything to bring more awareness to childhood cancer and uh, to get the word out, um, you know, to give hopefully other parents hope. Um, that's, that's, that's our goal. I agree with that. Uh, that's what I'm trying to do with these podcasts. And uh, with your help, I'm going to advance that, that a little bit more. Awesome. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Mark. You have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks. You too. Bye. I hope that you found both Leanne and Addie to be truly remarkable people. Addie's journey, as I'm sure you can see, has affected many of us who will all keep their fingers crossed as Addie continues her successful battle that she has waged against the ravages of neuroblastoma. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This is Mark Levine, and please tune in this coming Monday when I will interview Kathleen Ruddy, who is the head of the St. Baldrick's Foundation and in 2015 was named the Women's Chief Executive Officer of the Year at the World Awards. 